I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Beach Tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Welcome to the third day of my July book blast. This is Beach Reads Wednesday and I'll be releasing lots of episodes this week and next to get all these great beach reads out and also books that have come out during the quarantine or books that I think you just need to read at this time. And I just don't want you to miss these authors for any longer. So anyway, here are some great beach reads. Each episode this week will have a book that I think you should curl up with and read if you ever find the time. Christina Clancy is the author of The Second Home. She's actually a debut author. So she fits into my Monday, my debut Tuesday, or my Beach Read Wednesdays. So double trouble this week. Anyway, she loves Cape Cod. She enjoys living in the Midwest and grew up in Milwaukee. She now lives in Madison, Wisconsin with her husband and her two grown kids. She's a certified spin instructor and serves on the board of the Wisconsin Conservation Voters. She received her PhD in creative writing from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and previously taught creative writing at Beloit College. She recently completed her second novel, and that will be out in 2021. Enjoy our episode. I'm truly so excited to be on your show. I heard about your show from Karen Duquesne when she was on last year, and I started becoming the most avid listener. And then when my book was coming out, I was like, you know, my my bucket list for my book is the Beyonce podcast. Aww. So I was so excited when I heard that I was going to be on it. So you've made my day. Oh, that is so sweet. That's so sweet. Your book was so good. It was really, oh. really good. It kept me up two nights in a row past my husband, which almost never happens. But I was like, I can't. I can't stop reading. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I don't know how you read as much as you do. I'd like to turn the tables and just turn this whole interview where I interview you. <laughs> it's amazing to me what you do with this podcast and, and all of your time. Oh, thanks. I mean, I can't finish every single book. I just can't. And I'm usually upfront with the authors and say like, you know what, I just, I, <laughs> or on the, Insta- <laughs> on the Instagram lives, I blatantly am like, I didn't even open your book. So I do my best, but no, I try to, I mean, I love to read and I do it all the time and I'll, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I do. I don't know. I just, every day is different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's really nice of you to say. And yeah, so let's talk about your book. Yay, The Second Home. So for listeners who don't know what it's about, can you tell everybody what The Second Home is about? And then also what inspired you to write it? Sure. Well, the book is about a family from Milwaukee and they're a very middle-class family. The parents are teachers and They own a house in Cape Cod, oddly enough, which sounds very fancy, except it's been in their family for generations. And the reason that the parents are teachers is so that they can spend their summers in Cape Cod. And the house is kind of run down. You know, it's from the the late 1800s. 
And or actually, it's from it's older than that. It's from the 1700s. The house I've been talking about a lot is my grandparents' house, which is next door, which is from the late 1890s. But the house is in disrepair, and they go to the to the Cape each summer. And one summer, with their two daughters, Poppy and Anne, they also bring along an adopted child named Michael, who is new to the family and new to Cape Cod. And he also has feelings for Anne and Anne has feelings for him, which as you can imagine, creates some trouble. And they get involved with another family. And when they do, things go very badly and the family does not stay in touch. The siblings become estranged. And about 15 years later, the parents die and they have to come back to figure out what to do with the house. And everybody wants it. And Michael, the boy that they'd adopted, has a legitimate claim to a third of the estate. And he also wants to set the record straight. So that's the book in a nutshell. And yeah, I was inspired to write it, I think, because I, I mean, a lot of times when people ask me this question, I think I know how to answer it. Because usually I'll say that Poppy, the character who's the surfer, was the inspiration because I did meet a surfer when I was in Panama with my mom about a decade ago. And she told me that she never went home and it bothered me so much. I wanted to bring Poppy home and figure out what could get her there. But then I think really the book is about when my own grandparents passed away. And I think a lot of people with second homes feel this way. The book that everyone has so many memories of and cares so much about becomes very fragile because For a while, we didn't know if we'd be able to keep it in the family. It made no sense for us. My mom and her sisters are spread all across the country like Jack's, and they couldn't really agree on, or not not that they couldn't agree. They, my mom had the first right of refusal, but like, who was going to take it? You know, my mom was a single parent. We couldn't have a house on the Cape. And then my aunt lived in Michigan and she wasn't sure what to do with the Cape. And then my other aunt already lived on the Cape. So my mom was driving around one day with me and she said, you know, it's just really hard when your parents pass away and you become the next generation and you have to figure out how to keep your family together or whether you will or what that family is going to look like. And I was so struck by that comment and thinking about how that house kept our family together. And the fear of losing it wasn't just the house that we cared about. It was about keeping the history of the family in one place. You know, they, I think these houses can really just become touch points for every person in the family. So I think that's actually what the inspiration was, is that feeling, that fear that the house could somehow pass out of our family. We might lose our way. We might not have a reason to have reunions or stay together or look through the old photo albums in in the den, you know? What you did so well in the book was create such a sense of place and character, both, that I felt like not only was I, I could like see this house, right? I could see Poppy and Anne and the parents in their house, but I could also see, you know, Anthony and Maureen's house. I could just see it, all of it and feel it and all the sensory things you put in and all of it just made it so real. And then with the parents and what ended up happening to them, I felt like such a sense of, of loss myself. How do you think you did it? Like it was, and I know you teach creative writing and all that, but like, what do you think it was like that made these things just come alive so much? Well, first of all, the place I know very well. And so it was nice to write about two places I know well, which is Milwaukee and then also Cape Cod. And, you know, it was funny. It took me a while to realize that I could write about a place I know, to give myself permission to do that. And I don't know why it felt like there was permission needed to write about Milwaukee. And and originally, actually, the story was, it started out where the characters were in Evanston, Illinois, which seemed kind of like the Near East Side of Milwaukee to me. And then I kept thinking, well, I should 
go spend more time there so I can figure it out. And a friend of mine who's a, a writing instructor said, why don't you just set it in Milwaukee? And it was such a revelation, you know, it's like, oh, I can write about a place I know. And then even writing about businesses that I know or places that I know well felt a little bit like, like kind of like I was doing something wrong. Like, oh, I'm just going to name Scheherazade, this restaurant I like, or I'm going to name the Urban Ecology Center because I was on their board, you know? And so it, it was fun to do that. And then in Cape Cod, I gave myself the same liberty to write about all the places that I know and love there. And the only risk of doing that with place is that if you get one thing wrong, people will go crazy. So you have to, you know, like they, they won't be able to get out of their mind the whole rest of the book. A bookseller friend of mine was saying that somebody wrote about a car and they used the wrong horsepower for it, like within the first 10 pages of the book and the whole rest of the book, he couldn't even focus. So I was very careful to try to get everything right. And the copy editors were amazing too. Like it was fun to see how they would if I named a restaurant, they would actually pull up the sign for the restaurant and the menu for the restaurant to see if like they put a P or periods after each initial like for PJs or so it was, it was fantastic to have them, you know, go through that level of detail also. But so the place really spoke to me and I kind of think I live on my skin anyway. You can probably tell that from the writing. Like I just feel like I'm always like almost more there than there, you know, so that helped. And then the characters once I had them in my head and I went through my first draft and I started redrafting, they became so alive to me. And one of the most fun things I did with a book where after I sold it, my editor said, why don't you go through the last third and just add a few more surprises, just sprinkle them in so that it doesn't read like where you're going to expect what's going to happen. And that was so much fun because then I thought, oh, I know what Maureen would say here or, or Ed could do this and Connie could, you know, and, and so I just started thinking about how the characters would surprise me. And I think those are the magic moments in writing when you get so immersed, you're just like, you let the story wash over you. And I just had that happen again with my second book, where for a long time, I was just building it, building it, building it, struggling with it. And all of a sudden, I, my head was so deep in it that I, I would wake up with these characters talking in my head and I just couldn't wait to write about it. So as hard as it is to get to that point, it's amazing when it happens. Well, wait, what's your next book about? Well, it's a little, it sounds different than the book that I just wrote, but my editor assures me it sounds like a Christina Clancy novel. But in 1981, and actually in the 70s mostly, in a town called Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is near Chicago, oddly enough, there used to be a Playboy resort there. And the women who worked there were the daughters of dairy farmers and slaughterhouse workers and factory workers. And they had no experience being anything like a bunny. And suddenly they were bunnies. So I follow a woman who's from a neighboring town who gets a job. She's a very unlikely bunny. And it kind of follows her coming of age and her experiences with like recognizing what it's like to inhabit a woman's body and be looked at and be the object and sometimes limbed by a male gaze. So I had the best time writing it. It was so much fun. And I think it'll come out next year. That's really exciting. I read your essay about your son leaving, the Washington Post essay about your son going away to school. And is it okay that maybe you're not going to miss him that much? Or I know that's not exactly what you said, but (laughs) there were all these support groups for for the parents and you're like, well, you know, he's ready to go and I'm ready for him to go and it's okay. So that was great. (laughs) It was, yeah. I I mean, I, I wrote that and then afterwards I started feeling really sad and I was like, am I 
just a hypocrite, <laughs> but, but in general, I mean, and now he's back home. He's, you know, he's at, at USC and because of the COVID situation, he was in Greece studying and he had to come back home. And now we don't know if he'll be there in the fall. And the emotions are totally different. You know, I want him to go back. I want him to be able to resume his fun life as a student. So yeah, it's tough. I also read your essay in the sun. I think it was, oh. that was, that was your life, right? It was a personal essay. Yeah. I was like reading and reading. I was like, this is a book. Like I, this is like another book. You should write that as a, I mean, not that your fiction isn't fantastic. It's amazing, but your life story reads like fiction. Really. It's, it was like hard to believe and the relationship with your dad and oh my gosh, I couldn't believe how it ended. And that was a hard essay to write. I bet. You know, it's funny because when I worked on that essay, it was originally about the preppy movement and the preppy handbook, because mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the preppy I do, I do. that much, like the preppy handbook particularly, but I never knew it was a joke. I always thought it was totally serious. Like you must be a prep. And I lived in kind of a preppy community, you know, as I write about. So the whole essay, I reread the preppy handbook from beginning to end. And it's, I mean, actually, if you haven't read it for a while, it's so interesting to go back and look at but the whole essay was about my experience being a prep. And then I kind of just had a little bit of my dad in there and I sent it to the editors of the sun, which, you know, most writers would give their eye teeth to be in the sun. They have such a devoted readership. And when I got feedback from them, they said, you know, we love your essay, but we think your dad's really the story. And I was kind of offended. I was like, no, I want to write about the preppy handbook. But then I went back later on. I, I thought they'd rejected it. And then later on they were like, didn't you get our email? Like, do you want to write? And I was like, oh my gosh, like you, you guys still like it? So I worked on it and it was very cathartic to publish it, to have like people from my high school read it and get back to me. And, and so many said, I had, I had a bad high school year too and nobody knew. I never, you know, like people didn't know about my dad or, you know, I was really struggling and I didn't know how to say anything. So they felt so grateful for that essay. Do you think that part of what you do in fiction is to like put together the family like the way that you wanted it to be growing up that you never had, or maybe that's too simplistic or, you know, armchair therapist, but like, what do you think the role of fiction is in helping you with your own issues? Yeah. Well, one of my friends said that I waste my best nonfiction on, or I I waste my fiction, or I'm, I'm sorry, I need to rephrase this. He said, everything I put in nonfiction, I should put in fiction. He's like, all your best material you're wasting on nonfiction. So I thought that was really interesting, but I do think it's a way to kind of, it's almost like a way to write a diary, you know, like the things you're anxious about tend to be what you write about. And even though you're turning it into a story about other people, you know, maybe I was working on this book. I never thought about this until now, but the second home, you know, my kids were getting older and our family was about to change. And maybe that was just a way for me to hold on to us and what our life was like before everyone would go. And so. of course, it's actually not a home that makes the family, right? I mean, I'm sure it's like the home is just, I mean, not that it doesn't have a lot of soul, but, you know, a family can transcend a, a physical place, right? It can't, can't be destroyed by one, you know, demo truck or whatever else. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's more just the memories, I think. Yeah, but it can, it feels painful. I mean, losing a place that's important to you, like in the second home, I mean, it's, you know, it's a loss, you know, it's something that you should, you can grieve in and of itself. I mean, it seems silly to say in the context of the craziness of the world right now, like sitting around being sad about your family home, but I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a physical loss that you feel when a, a touchstone of your life disappears. It's a, a rootlessness almost. 
Yeah. And a place you go back to again and again and again, there's a certain like cadence to your life, a certain rhythm. Like we have a summer cottage. It's very simple. It's in fact, it, I think it has the first toilet ever invented. We have to close it every winter, but my life seems to make some sense when I go back every year and I go through all the routines of opening it up and, you know, having the well pump turned back on and, and then thinking about who's going to be there, you know, all the people that populated over the course of the summer and with the memories that we have of like playing Parcheesi and so on. So I think it just makes your life make sense sometimes to have one place you go back to again and again, and instead of always going somewhere different. I agree. My mom and stepdad sold like the house that we had gone to my whole life and had to like, you know, all the books that I had even as a kid, now I have here with me and in my house. It just was like, it was almost as if I had finally grown up more because of that house. Oh, interesting. Going out of our family than I had getting married, getting divorced, getting remarried, having kids. Like it was that, the cleaning out of that particular room of mine that was like, you know, at, here at age 40, I mean, it happened a couple of years ago, but still in my forties. I don't know. It's emotional and I don't know. Yeah, it can definitely make it. Yeah, it's and it's a kind of a new era when you let go of those places. You know, you realize you're, you're jumping into something new, which I think right now, given all the turbulence in our lives, it's maybe those second homes are going to be even more meaningful to people. You know, just having one constant when, in a world that's in complete flux right now. Yeah, I keep wondering how the second home market is going to work this summer. I think most people are renting places for longer periods of time which actually I like because when I was a kid, we'd go to Cape Cod and we would get to know all the kids. You know, we were there long enough. We'd go to the ponds and we'd, we'd want to be there at the same time the next day because maybe the, that cute guy from Connecticut was going to be there or whatever. So we, you know, I like that kind of repetitive visit and longer visit. So how did you end up writing a debut novel now, like at this time in your life? Like, how did this happen now? Tell me about it. You know, I think a lot of it was, I was writing a lot before, you know, I have a PhD in creative writing and I've written essays like, you know, in the New York Times or Washington Post or The Sun, and I have published a fair amount of short fiction. And I love short fiction. Like for a long time, I'm a complete short story addict. I read them all the time and I have, I'm, you know, like I kind of want to be buried with my short story collection. <laughs> so I think that the craft of a short story, I just appreciated so much. And that's all I worked on was short stories. And then people would say, well, you're not really an author until you have a book. And I, I'd kind of bristle at that a little bit, you know, thinking that, no, I'm, I'm still a productive writer. But I have to say there's something super satisfying about writing something as big as a novel and tracking the characters and putting it all together in a way that it, there's an arc from beginning to middle to end that I don't know now that I'll be able to go back to short stories. But it just took me a really long time to learn how to do that. One thing I, say, I tell people is, you know, I've, I've gone through multiple drafts of this book and then also another book that I worked on for my PhD thesis that just never really quite had a plot. But it takes a long time because the first time you write a novel, you're, you have to recognize one thing that you're doing, which is you're telling the story to yourself the first time. You're just creating this landscape. You're inhabiting it with characters and you're just kind of populating things. And then when you go back and you revise, that's when you start telling a story for your reader. And so I think a lot of people who, are, who try to write novels and think that they failed or who give up, it's because they get frustrated at one of those points along the way when they're writing. So it's just a sticking with it and getting back into it and, and trying to like make that transition from telling the story to yourself to your, to your reader, which I think makes a book 
that's where the magic kind of takes place. Wow. That's really, really interesting advice. I've never heard anything like that before. <laughs> that PhD did something, huh? <laughs> I also loved, by the way, your modern love essay about oh. your, your friend and her ex, like your ex, your friend's ex-husband and his new girlfriend being in your spin class. That would have uh-huh. like priceless. You need to like send these around again. Like, cause that you wrote that in what, like 2014 or something like a long yeah. time ago. Like you need to like, I don't know, it needs to breathe new life. Cause that's like such a good, <laughs> such a good essay. I'll no, put it in the show notes when I do this. So at least I can do that. But wow. I mean, go you. <laughs> you know, the modern love essay. One thing that I love about that essay is I'm sure a lot of writers can recognize this. Sometimes you just know a story. The minute they walked into my classroom, I was talking about like, okay, we're going to climb a four minute hill and it's going to be really hard and whatever. But that's what I was saying. But in my head, I was like, I've got a story here. I cannot believe he's in my class. So the funny thing about that essay is that the couple, they're really good friends now. And I think that it, you know, really maybe in a way wasn't my place to enter that situation. But at the same time, I think it kind of made it funny in a way, you know, it was meant to be funny. And I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling of, you know, when, when your friends get divorced, you take it really personally. Like you, I, you want people that they, you can tell this from my book. I'm super nostalgic about things. I just want things to stay the same. And even though they both ended up in a really good place and they're totally at peace with what happened, I wasn't. And that was, it, it was really the editor, Dan Jones of Modern Love, the day before it was published, he called me and we were talking about it. And he said, you know what I love about this essay? And then he, right, this is right after he said about 3 million people read it. And I, I was like, what? And he said, you just make such an ass out of yourself. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yep, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really fantastic. Do you still teach spinning? I do. I mean, because of COVID, I haven't had my classes, but I love teaching spinning. It's like the best money I ever spent was getting certified it's just, you meet the nicest people and you know, I never dread a class. Never, ever. I never wake up and think, oh, I have to teach a spin class. There's just this wonderful energy when you walk into a spin room. So I hope, I don't know what the future of spinning is right now. I know. Future of anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christina, thank you so much. Your book, as I said at the beginning, I could not put it down and it kept me up and that doesn't happen that often. And I just... Really, really enjoyed it. So it's really a pleasure talking to you. And I share that same appreciation of all nostalgic elements and not wanting things to change. And so I get it. And it was was just really great. So congratulations on your pub day and everything. (laughs) And really, thank you for having me on the show. I truly listen all the time and it's just a total thrill to be on it. Thanks for all you do for writers, you know, especially a debut writer like me, you know, to get my name out there through you means so much. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully I'll meet you in person one of these days. Oh, great. Thanks a lot, Zibby. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to a Beach Reads Wednesday episode from my big July book blast. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you've enjoyed getting to know some of these amazing authors. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. 
Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.